Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's up and welcome to Kind of Funny Games Daily for Thursday, August 5th. 2021 as always i'm tim gettys joined by timor hussein himself it's tim tam thursday baby i love it it's my favorite thursday of any week when i'm reunited with my oh. big homie tim there we go there we go the custom logos oh, you gotta back. love the it the custom logo is back let's go <laughs> fantastic stuff i love that this has just worked out that i've got to do the show with you so many times in the last couple of weeks <laughs> busy doing other stuff so anyway there's always a always a plus side to this so good always. shit man uh but this is kind of funny games daily where each and every weekday we get together live on twitch.tv slash kind of funny games to talk about all the video game news that you need to know you can watch it live on twitch or you can watch it later on youtube.com slash kind of funny games or roosterteeth.com. If you wanted to get it as a podcast, just search your favorite podcast service for kind of funny games daily. And we will be right there for you to consume how you would like. If you want to get the show ad free, and if you want the exclusive post show that we do each and every day, you can go to patreon.com slash kind of funny games where bronze members or above gets right in and silver members or above get the show ad free along with the daily post show uh some housekeeping for you the core games multiverse games finale is right after this kev if you could bring up this link please uh right at the top in housekeeping last week blessing greg and snowbike mike played their little hearts out uh in in the core games they did a great job today is the finale they're going up against some of our ign brothers brian altano and max goldville it's going to be a great time you can go check that out at 11 a.m pacific twitch.tv slash core games really cool stuff and last but not least the blessing show is back with a special event that just happened um and it is now live on youtube.com slash kind of funny games this is a 20 minute special going into the popularity of roguelikes what or roguelites what exactly they are uh there's some cool interview stuff they worked really really hard on it and roger Bercorny edited his little ass off and you guys should definitely go check it out go support it drop some likes leave some comments share it with your friends you love to see it. Uh, thank you to our Patreon producer, Blackjack. Today, we're brought to you by DoorDash and Honey, but I'll tell you about that later. For now, let's begin with what is and forever will be the Roper Report. It's time for some news. We have seven news stories today. Uh, Baker's Dozen. Ooh. There we go. There we go. Having a little fun today, Kevin, right? Yeah, I'm having a blast. story number one new psvr2 details from a recent dev summit this comes from nebellion over on twitter uh you can bring this up kevin because there's some pretty cool images to check out the code name of it is next gen vr it features hdr oled displays with a 2000 by 2040 per eye resolution the field of view is 110 which is more than psvr the controllers will be packaged with each headset and feature touch sensors they look pretty damn dope over there very similar to uh controllers we we've seen in the past from some of the other vr uh creators 
Launch details are coming in early 2022. And one of the more interesting tidbits here is Sony is also interested in AAA hybrid games that can be played both with and without VR, similar to Resident Evil 7 and Hitman 3, instead of just VR experiences. The above report has been corroborated by Upload VR, who are the standard in VR news. Tam, what you think? I think I'm. I think it's a fantastic idea for them. I I, I always felt like um, I feel like Sony has got um, always is going to be trying something. It's always going to have a second arm um, alongside the home console stuff. Um, up until now, it was the portable side of it, which they stuck with for a little while, and it didn't quite work for them in the way that perhaps we wanted and they wanted. Rest in peace, Vita. Um, Vita means okay. life, but uh, it is, of course, dead. And to take those resources and pump it into VR now seems very, very, very smart. And given that the success of the PlayStation VR, I think it's important to reflect back on what the PlayStation VR achieved because it was kind of impressive it wasn't the best headset it wasn't the most powerful headset but when it came to market penetration and making vr kind of palatable and even a possibility for the broader scope of gamers it was huge i think it often gets undersold the impact uh that uh playstation vr had on the landscape of of VR and that technology and moving that forward. A lot of that credit goes to Oculus and even Vive with Rift. But for my money, I feel like they're doing the hard work on pushing the tech forward, whereas Sony is doing a lot of the work on making it priming the market, the gaming market for uh, VR kind of um, uh, acceptance. And they did well with the PlayStation VR. I thought it was a fantastic device. Like I. There were some experiences that were novel to the point where um, it sold me on VR immediately, like Batman Arkham VR. Like I had a PlayStation VR. I played that and I was like, that was entirely worth it. If I never touch this VR thing again, <laughs> that was 100% worth it. I realized that's a ridiculous thing for a device that's like $300, $400, however much it was. But I also kind of shows you the power of creating lasting impressions using a vr experience and it seems like the the idea of creating hybrid experiences is leaning towards that where they have these experiences that are like they almost create create this uh situation where you you have the familiarity of what it's like to play a triple a game and then they show you how they can elevate that with vr and that's how you really get the hardcore gamers on board and how you make sure that other people who are new to VR are also taken care of. So amazing, amazing stuff. I'm super excited about it. I can't wait for it to come back. And I'm someone who recently bought uh, Oculus Quest 2, um, mm. and I haven't used it as much as I want to, but I'm excited for more VR going forward. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a really good point that you know PSVR was a success for Sony and clearly was a success because they're making another one. And I got to say, I am still a little surprised there going forward with a, a next-gen VR headset. Like, I even with its success i i kind of assumed they were going to just keep putting titles out or not putting titles out for the the playstation vr that currently exists but mm -hmm. this everything they're saying here i think kind of leads to a, a much better future for the potential of this becoming more of a real thing as opposed to just a a success story uh on the on the books that they have but more being like a mainstream success that is uh, 
closer to the level that I think a lot of people kind of expected or hoped that the PSVR originally could have been. Because you're right. The difference is it's a console versus PC. The same type of uh, ideology goes behind that where it's like console gaming, the fact that they're putting this out on the PlayStation means that VR is now accessible to a group of people that even though the PC side of it isn't that complicated, just knowing it's on PC, they're just like, oh, that sounds complicated, so I'm, I'm out. Whereas this was like, yo, you already have a PlayStation, you just buy this thing that you can play these games. And like that just mm. makes more sense to a, a large group of people, especially when you look at how many PS4s are out in the wild, right? Like that was speaking yeah. to a, a, a very large audience. Having said that, though, there was still so many setbacks. Like the fact that it didn't come with controllers, like the fact that the controllers it wanted you to use were PlayStation 3 controllers. <laughs> like there's just so yeah. many odd things about where PSVR was caught in the time that it came out. Whereas all of this is really kind of building a much stronger narrative. The tech is now here. I'm interested in if it will be wireless or, or if it kind of matches the things that we're now kind of used to from the Quest, which has been such a major success story for uh, VR fans. And I think more mainstream gamers where in a lot of ways i think quest has kind of outdone psvr in simplifying and just being like yo it just works because yeah. that way you're taking out the console entirely and it's just it's wireless you put it on like i know my gia's sister has a, a quest in her house and she uses it she could just put it on and understand it and like she's not a gamer that's the type of thing that vr needs to be to be this type of success that it has its major potential to yeah hit. so like a couple of things based on that i think the really interesting thing about playstation vr was it was undoubtedly a success but like you said there were a few issues with it but the kind of like the the upside of those issues is it's created this scenario where Sony was the only company to offer a VR console focused VR experience. They had no competitor, which meant they didn't really have to nail it first time. They just had to do something good enough to show what they were after and make that success. It was a success. And in doing so, they kind of identified the points of friction that console VR experiences have. And a lot of the stuff that we've seen uh, in this, uh, this kind of like the revelation about the new one from the Dev Summit is, seems like it's targeted towards addressing those situate those um, issues. The HDR OLED displays is very specifically something that goes after the the idea that the other VR devices that were available were very quickly outpacing what the PlayStation VR could do, right? And they still kind of are. But like a high resolution OLED display is going to be amazing. The FOV being bigger, the package controllers is a standard thing now with Oculus. Yeah, like it, it has is to be. it is has to be yeah, and it it makes so much sense that they're doing that and it, it is really really clever that they're doing that um so they have the the kind of like foundation for creating a better experience when the new vr thing comes when, when their new vr experience comes along which is exciting exciting definitely totally i mean you know years ago it must have been 20 2015 we uh had mm -hmm. shuhei yoshida on the show and when it was like leading into the launch and talking about psvr and he was so excited about it and like the thing he was saying was like he's been around since the beginning of playstation and he sees or saw psvr as the playstation one where it's like it's not gonna yes. be the greatest thing in the world but it's like over time like this is the first iteration like imagine what the ps5 equivalent of psvr could be and just with the way that the game space works with with how tech works I, I don't think it's going to take 
20 years to get from the PlayStation yeah. 1 to, you know, the, where we're, we're more like current. Um, I think the VR is going to move a lot quicker. Like even the, the numbers they're dropping here, it's like this is significantly more impressive than PlayStation mm-hmm. VR and is way more modern and feels a little more. It'll never be future proof when we're talking about consoles, but as future proof as you can get for this type of tech. Yeah, I also think it kind of fits in with Sony's broader objective right now. So like you mentioned how easy it is to get a VR headset on for like Gia Sister and, and can really get into it. And I definitely agree with that. That's the experience I had. But there were also situations where Quest 2 was my first, like my personally owned one. And I had a lot of issues in interfacing with game the games I wanted to interface with in the mm-hmm. way I wanted to do it. So my use case was Half-Life Alex. Like that came out universally acclaimed as probably the best vr experience that you can play from a gaming perspective so i was excited that's pretty much why i bought it and then there was the whole hassle of making sure you had the right cable and you know different versions of it and then when i got it up and running it there was an additional kind of like pain in the ass of creating the handshake between steam and oculus's stuff Mm. and when i got into the game i had this incredibly frustrating bug where anytime i was holding an item um it wouldn't it wouldn't replace Alex's hand with the item. It would show me her hand, but then the item like a gun would just be overlaid on top of it. So like I played a decent chunk of that game just being frustrated by it. And what regardless of that, Half-Life Alex remains probably the definitive gaming VR experience. I think Sony is at a stage now where they create the most, if some of the most, if not the most compelling console gaming experiences, right? They're like a premier game studio. And Microsoft does the same and Nintendo does the same, but there's like almost like a, a cinema quality to the way Sony comes at it, right? So if they're coming at it, like we can create like the definitively best VR games and then we can do it on a system that's close to the point where issues won't happen where people are trying to figure out how to make a game talk to a hard piece of hardware and then when that man- when they manage to get through that there's a bug in there or that will be removed so they can create the best vr games on a platform that's stable and and requires little to no effort to engage with that's from a business standpoint incredible to me yeah yeah and so so this is really interesting i want to bring in a question from uh kebabs who writes in and says what's up kind of funny games daily crew the psvr2 report from upload vr mentioned that sony's interested in games that work outside vr as well as in it which games do you think fit the bill personally i think moss 2 and an astrobot rescue mission sequel would be prime candidates due to their level design moss is very section based and astrobot used linear paths similar to crash bandicoot my worry is that this devalues psvr as a platform much like with what happened to the vita when exclusives like gravity rush and white out 2048 appeared on playstation 4 mm-hmm. it's an interesting point you bring up i do think it, it's quite different than the, the vita situation uh in terms of the, the games coming to uh console as well uh but when you look at psvr and what they did unique in the space is because they were playstation they had more ability to tap into uh built-in install base already of not just gamers but also partners that they had so that's why we got batman arkham vr because people were used to playing the arkham games on playstation consoles and xbox as well but that that is there in a way that it wasn't just built in on the pc side Mm -hmm. of things right then i remember there's that one e3 it must have been it must have been 2015 um or 16 20 it was 2016 where 
there was like a section of the PlayStation press conference, one of the best, it was like the the God of War reveal uh, E3 yeah, yeah. with the orchestra and shit. And there was a section where they just went like, boom, 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 with like crazy big titles with VR modes. It was Final Fantasy 15. There was more stuff on Batman, I think. Um, there was, I, I'm blanking on the other titles now, but it was like, it was a back-to-back thing that ended with the reveal of Resident Evil 7. And yeah. the reveal that that was coming soon, full game, and could be fully played in VR. And that was kind of the, well, if this doesn't make PSVR work, nothing can. Because they really just did the damn thing. And we're like, hey, all these things that you love, you now get a, a personalized VR experience for them. And in the case of RE7, we're going to knock it out of the fucking park. And then they yeah. ended up doing that, which is interesting to look at Resident Evil Village coming out now and not having that that VR mode, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is very... I feel like it is strange. I feel like it makes a lot of sense because, again, if it felt like that Resident Evil 7 was kind of like the proving ground for what this could be. Mm -hmm. So the hybrid scenario that they talk about where they have these AAA experiences that can work in VR, I very much, I believe that's based on how they approach Resident Evil 7 because that is a game that functioned perfectly fine with and without VR but was enhanced by VR if you wanted it there. And I can see them going forward and treating every one of their premiere games like that. Like you have that for God of War, you have that for uh, for um, Horizon, you have that for the next Uncharted, whatever it may be, should should it come uh, to fruition, Last of Us. It it is definitely something that um, I reckon is influenced by that. And you are right that it was kind of weird that they pulled back on it. But again, my whole understand, my whole perspective on PlayStation VR was it was an experiment for them to figure things out in the same way that Shuhei uh, mentioned the PlayStation 1 was in a lot of ways. But just like the PlayStation 1, it was an experiment they kind of throw into the void to see what happens. It was if we're going to experiment, we need to also work on the business side of it, make it marketable and go like figure out all of these, make the mistakes with the first one we need to make to make the second one an absolute banger. And yep. it feels like that's what they're doing here. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was talking about how PSVR one was kind of caught in like this timing issue, like kind of between between generations and they were still kind of figuring out VR was still this, even on the PC side, still a relatively new thing. Like the, the ones that predated PSVR were only two years before it or whatever mm. but being where we're at now it's another kind of weird time where we all know the issues with with hardware shortages and all this so them aiming for uh 2022 is interesting i mean actually they're just saying launch details coming in early 2022 i wonder what their plan is here like you bringing up god of war and, and horizon all that stuff that is that's interesting i wonder if if they are going to kind of make some type of mandate of some sort that every one of the major PlayStation Studio games is going to feature a core bit of VR gameplay that like is going to incentivize the millions and millions of PS5 owners, soon to be millions and millions more over time, mm. uh, to also want this as part of the like PS5 experience where you want to get this thing and you are going to be rewarded for getting this thing by modes that are worth a damn um, or, or gameplay styles that are worth a damn and experiences uh with this psvr next gen whatever that they need to kind of present it in tandem with the ps5 as kind of this thing that like is super worth it and is not just a gimmicky thing if you want gimmicky experiences yeah agreed it needs to be as important to the playstation experience as something like a controller is like you want to have make that connection where you're like i need to interface with this game in this way to 
uh, have the ultimate experience because that's ultimately what they know that their fan base strives for. They think of themselves as having the cream of the crop gaming experience when they turn on a game like Ratchet or Last of Us 2. Mm -hmm. And if you're like, hey, it's going to get better when you put this headset on, that's going to be an incredibly difficult proposition to turn down for people like us who are always trying to get the most out of it and are trying to be on the bleeding edge of technology. But then as time goes on, people who just like to play games, like you, it's going to be hard to turn down the opportunity to play a God of War in a VR if you know that it's there and it exists and it isn't like a gimmick mod where it's like, hey, throw the axe in at the wall in this you know weird, unique mode. It's something more meaningful to that. Exactly. And, you know, I, I think that we saw this all happen with motion gaming uh, a couple generations ago where it's just like it was a, this big, exciting moment and then it was just overused and then it was underused and then it kind of came back in this way where it's like now people just use it for the most part in ways that actually do enhance the gameplay and like yeah. they're, they're smart decisions as opposed to like going back to what I was saying about like it feels like a mandate for this to be in it. So I think we're about to hit that point. I think that P VR games have matured at a quicker rate than other like console gaming or whatever, just because that's the nature of the industry. Um, but what I think is really interesting about PSVR 2 that um, I think is too early to really like say one way or another, but if they get the price down enough and they can make this thing like accessible where it doesn't feel like egregious, but is still as premium a product as it seems to be, if they can also kind of sell it as hey, this can also just be the way that you play games, even if they're not VR, and you're going to get mm. a really high-quality OLED screen in front of your face, and it's going to feel like you're in an epic theater playing these video games. That has always been kind of like, not a promise, but I feel like they're always kind of like, and also, if you want, you can play uh, normal games in it. But like, it still had that screen door effect. It still didn't really, it felt like a lesser way to play the games compared to on your television. If they can make it an equal or better in some ways experience i think that that could be a huge selling point for them and i think then the third thing would be if they could figure out a way to make psvr to function like the quest does stand alone without your yeah. ps5 even if it is for certain experiences for certain levels of games but it's like okay the majority of things like just vr games like the quest work on this but the big PlayStation Studio title stuff that we're talking about, like the full integration, mm. you do need the PS5, obviously, to be able to play those games, blah, 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 blah. Here's a, here's a wild, wild scenario I just want you to think about. PlayStation VR is revealed. Mm -hmm. PlayStation VR 2, they're showing it off, and then whoever's on stage, Herman, whoever it may be, just points at it and says, and if you'll notice, there is a cartridge slot for the PlayStation Vita on this headset. And then it just carries on. Imagine you could just put in your Vita cartridge you, in there. Can you can you imagine that? Can you imagine he says that in this in in on stage? It's the return of of people in a, in a massive theater. There are seven thousand people in the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles. He does this, and there's like three people that say "woo." Yeah, three, <laughs> woo. it's Greg just echoing, and people think it's three people. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Let's let's move on from the PlayStation VR talk to more PlayStation talk. 
And again, more Shuhei Yoshida talk. Uh, there's a PlayStation Indie spotlight going on right now. And this is brought to you by the head of PlayStation Indies, Shuhei Yoshida. Um, hi, everyone. We're back today with a lineup of reveals, updates, and previews for seven thrilling indie games coming to PlayStation. From mysterious horrors and action-packed dungeons to colorful characters and thoughtful exploration, there's a game from today's announcement suited to every player. Keep an eye here on the PlayStation blog as the updates unfold every half hour, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific time. Um, this is something that PlayStation's been doing a lot. Well, they'll do these like kind of PlayStation blog rollouts every 30 minutes or so, reveal some news about something. And it, it's pretty cool. I like that it's a little different than uh, like game showcases we're used to seeing. But some of the highlights, Kev, if you can uh, bring up their PlayStation's Twitter right now, we can kind of go through. Yeah, I'm having trouble finding the highlights, though. So I'll do I mean, just just go to the Twitter and then... Um, I'm at the yeah, Twitter, Tim. I'm at the Twitter. Scroll down just a little bit. Yeah, like these are the updates. So um we we see some stuff we got let's start kev with where go down last, with says playstation oh, last last time they had a big like yeah yeah, yeah. just stick, go back to the twitter okay go down to the playstation indies purple looking image purple a little more a little more boom cool so yeah starting there that's kind of the announcement and if you start scrolling up from there oxen free 2 lost signals is coming to playstation 4 and playstation 5 so that's pretty cool. This game was revealed uh, a couple months ago. Looks awesome. Uh, then we got Axiom Verge 2 introduces dimensional breaches to the side-scrolling formula. There's a new uh, gameplay trailer, new gameplay details. Uh, then we got uh, Embark on a Bewitching Crafting Adventure set in a land of mythical fables in Witchwood. It's coming to PS4 and PS5 this year. Kind of cool little art style yeah, here. Cool. Uh, then we got 36 years later, Platinum Games is releasing a sequel to the venerated top-down arcade shooters Moon Cresta and Terra Cresta in the form of Soul Cresta. Uh, and you can check out a little whole story about the origins of it as told by Hideki Kamiya over on the PlayStation blog. Um, and then you can climb, soar, and explore a pixelated paradise in a short hike coming to PlayStation 4 later this year. Greg Miller, big fan of that game, so definitely mm -hmm. check it out. Uh, winning a whole bunch of fun indie awards and stuff at the different things it's been at. Carry On, a reverse horror experience, crawls onto PS4 later this year. I don't know what a reverse horror means, but... It's, it's you're the, the bad guy. Yeah, you're, uh, you're the monster. You play the monster in that yeah. game. Gotcha, gotcha. You get to eat people. And then Hades. Supergiant Games joins us for an underworld escape attempt ahead of their award-winning adventures PlayStation launch next week. If you haven't played Hades, play Hades. It's going to be real fun on PlayStation. That controller seems suited for it, so definitely check that out if you haven't already. And if you already have, do it again. Um, and that's it. There you go. Those are the those are the PlayStation mm. Indie updates. Cool stuff. Bunch definitely of great-looking games. Cool yeah, Yuzo Koshiro working on uh, Soul Cresta. That is a good shout um i'm always down to listen to his music wherever it's coming from awesome what, and, what's he known uh, for streets of rage he's the man mm. the myth the legend behind streets of rage and a lot of other sega games but streets of rage Bangers. some of the best one oh, of the yeah. best yeah like that is the og like accidental hip-hop soundtrack to a video game <laughs> because yes. there's there's a there's an amazing youtube video i think it's still up but it's a it's a club set of user kashiro where he basically does a, a mix of all the best tracks from Streets of Rage 1, 2, and 3, I believe, live. And it is, oh, it's amazing. It's okay, so, so good. It it's awesome. so dope. Awesome. Yeah, and then um, Carry On's great. Uh, it's been on It's on Game Pass now, and I'm glad that um, it's kind of uh, making its way to other consoles. So, you know, Carry On My Wayward Son. 
Exactly. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. It had to happen. Yeah, uh, next true. news story. I'm here on Games Daily, which means, of course, the Nintendo sales numbers are here, and I got to talk about them. Uh, the Nintendo Switch has passed the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 and is now the seventh best-selling console of all time. This comes straight from Nintendo, but some little insight, like I just said, came from uh, Per Schneider from IGN's Twitter. Um, if you pull up the first link, Kev, the Nintendo link, we get a lot, of, a lot of visuals, classic Nintendo style of them just showing off at this point. Just being mm. like, guys, look, the Nintendo Switch is at 89 million units sold in the wild, which is crazy, especially when you start thinking about the OLED edition coming out. That's just going to boost these numbers even more. So many people are going to buy it for the first time. So many people are going to buy a second Switch, some maybe a third Switch if you already had the light. Um, so we'll see how high these numbers can get even in these strenuous times. Uh, but you can see here that they, they're doing it to themselves, but they just show the Wii U, the poor Wii U underneath <laughs> it. 13.56 million units sold. I think I think that's that the Wii U is constantly put up there as like a threat and a reminder. It's like you know, you know how you know how yeah, like uh, definitely you know how when Omar appears in the wire, everyone starts shouting Omar coming because you don't want to mess with Omar. So like and you you know that even when Omar's down, he will come back up. Don't mess with him. And the Wii U is there kind of as like a threat, being like, remember when you counted us out once? Now look at us. Look at yeah. these two consoles after that. I love so it. Man. I feel like that's why they put it. Also, anytime anytime Nintendo releases financial information, I just have the image of Matchamp in my head. Matchamp uh -huh. posing, you know, because uh -huh. he poses oh, like yeah. this. Oh, yeah. For some reason, I always just think of Matchamp when they release their thing. I'm just like, oh, they're doing the Matchamp thing again. <laughs> they're doing the damn thing. So uh, some interesting stuff here. Uh, Kev, I am going to actually, can you just pull up that Wikipedia article I sent? Or this, yeah. on, the this on Games Daily doc? Um, so this is just the list of best-selling consoles. So just for a little reference here, yeah, now the Switch is com coming in at number seven uh, with the Wii ahead of it. So the Switch is currently at 89 million and the Wii is at 101 million. The Wii. This thing the might Wii. outpace the fucking Nintendo Wii. Like, that is insane. The and Wii I was, yeah, I, I remember the fervor to get a Wii because I was working retail at that time. And it was, mm. it was like being part of the sales process for the Wii was one of the hardest experiences of my life because it was unbelievable how how many people wanted it and how desperate they were and how you know how people celebrities talk about when they make it and then all their homies from back in the day start calling them to be like yo you got yeah you got a million for me like when when the Wii popped off like or, or I, people from the woodwork were coming out. I had a teacher, a teacher, primary school teacher, message me to be like, I heard you work in retail now. Can you get me a Wii? And I was like, what the f What? So the fact that it's outpacing the console that resulted in that kind of thing is unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. Uh, and I think what's really, really great, too, to, to back it up is like it's not just the the fact that there's a gimmick like the Wii had right and that the kind of the Wii had great games obviously but compared to the switch the switch has won us over man it's won over the people it's selling well there are critical hits released constantly on the damn thing like nintendo is back they've proven they've been back for years and i i love that i love that like seeing a thriving nintendo is good for the industry and the more switch switches in the wild the more quality games are going to come out for it that are going to sell ridiculously well. Uh, mm. Going up this list a little bit, we got PlayStation 1 at 102 million, which I also think the Switch will easily pass in the, the coming years. Then yeah. PS4 at 116. 
Game Boy at 118, the DS family at 154, and the PlayStation 2 at 155. Where do you think the Switch ends up? Hmm. I think I think it could come in. I think it might come close to PS2. Lifetime sales, I think it comes close to PS2. Especially if we consider we've got the the light already out there. Um and then we've got the OLED on the way. And then if rumors are to be believed that HD 4K version does exist still, I'm factoring that in as a real thing that will show up eventually. I feel like it could comfortably reach the PS2 area, the kind of uh, ballpark quite quite easily. Insane. And I, I think you're totally right. I, I think that in the same way that here, the Game Boy and Game Boy Color count as one thing and the Nintendo DS family counts as one thing. I think at mm-hmm. the end of the day, the Nintendo Switch family uh, will be very, very high on this list. I think it will uh, definitely pass the Game Boy and Game Boy Color. Does it hit the 154 uh, for the Nintendo DS? That's the bigger question. I think it will. I think it I, will, even given the setbacks of all the supply shortages and stuff. The one, the one X factor we have is obviously the Steam Deck. Like that's going to be a massive consideration for Nintendo is quaking in its boots because of the Steam Deck. We all know it. Yeah, it's uh, Nintendo been real quiet since Gabe <laughs> dropped the Steam Deck. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Kevin, if you can go back to the Nintendo article, please. Um, we can look at the top selling titles as well. Uh, it's not that big of a surprise, but some of these numbers are utterly insane. Scroll all the way up on the left side. There's a top selling title sales units at number one, 37.08 million units sold for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. It just continues to climb. Do you know the, you know the worst part of Mario Kart 8 being that successful? They have no reason to make a new Mario Kart. It's I, so frustrating. Dude, don't get me started. This is a conversation we've had so many times. I, we will see another Mario Kart. Yeah, and, we will. And it's going to sell extremely well. Just because this exists, why not? If this thing makes that much money, why not make more money? Put something else, else <laughs> out and do it again. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand how we we don't even have new DLC for it. Like, it's, imagine it's how insane. money. Like, if they were like, yo, we've made six new tracks. Enjoy like, that, would be, that would be like an astronomical amount of money. I just don't get it. I seriously it. don't get it. But going down, we got Animal Crossing New Horizons at 33.89 million, which we got to point out, that is a year. One year that wow. thing was able to catch up almost to Mario Kart 8 uh, to be the number one. I, I do think that it's going to be an interesting fight as we go on. Like I wonder if Animal Crossing has legs like Mario Kart does in the, in the way that did the, the people that are going to buy it already bought it and it's over? Mm. Like, it's going to keep going. We're going to get next time we have this conversation, these numbers are going to be millions plus more. But will it outpace Mario Kart? That I'm not so sure about. I think Mario mm. Kart is going to just keep keep going up. It's going to be close, though. Uh, then there's a pretty significant drop to a still very impressive 24.77 million for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, uh, and then Breath of the Wild at 23, Pokemon uh, Sword and Shield at 21, making it the third highest selling Pokemon game of all time behind the uh, Game Boy games, Gen 1 and Gen 2. It's going back to Mario Kart for, for a minute. Like It's wild to me the drop-off to Smash Brothers, and that is continuing to get new content. Mm-hmm. Like they they are still making a game a content for a game that's performed significantly less as well as the top performing game which is as primed for new content 
and no disrespect to any of the smash brothers fans i love smash brothers and and like um, i'm glad they're still getting content but again just further highlights how wild it is that there's no mario kart 8 new content absolutely but i mean it also highlights the fact that we're we're looking at this huge drop-off but we're talking about a a console exclusive game that is selling 20 plus million copies like that is an astronomical number mm. like we're we're hitting like almost unprecedented levels of damn this game is fucking selling and they have so many you look at this top 10 like for a new nintendo game to break into this top 10 is going to be crazy but they're going to yeah. do it <laughs> breath of the wild 2 is probably going to be here yeah you know mario whatever the next odyssey is or whatever uh mario odyssey at 21 mario party at 15 that's crazy Whew. And then uh, wow. Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee at 13.57 million copies, which say what you will about those games. Pokemon freaking sells, man. I, I love Let's Go Pikachu. That's fantastic. Uh, Splatoon 2, 12.45 million. And then Ring Fit Adventure getting the shout out at 11.26 million units sold. Wow. Ring Fit continues to be one of the most interesting games released in the last decade for me like i think it's absolutely fascinating and an incredible experience i love ring fit like i wouldn't i don't use it as much i very quickly like it it outlived its usefulness in my kind of lifestyle um but the way i look at it is like it's way more successful than any other health product in terms of execution that they've released so far. And it's, again, wild to me that they still aren't pushing it as hard as they should be. Um, I don't know how available it is now. There was a period where it was really, really difficult to get. But if I was them, I would be continuously marking market that thing like it's Coca-Cola. Everyone knows it exists, Coke exists. And yet they're still like, hey, we're Coke. We've still got it. Like, they should have... <laughs> They should have the they should have that same kind of approach where it's like, yo, you don't have to go to the gym, buy this video game, and you're yeah. gonna have a you'll have an excellent like um uh, health uh, experience, healthcare experience. It's wild Dude, to me that I'm I mean it, what, that. Absolutely. And what's wild too is I remember the day it was announced and you know, everybody looks at it and makes their snarky jokes on on Twitter or on uh, video game podcasts like yeah. myself. Uh but then it's like, damn. Who the hell would have thought that Ring Fit Adventure with its weird ass looking, uh, gimmicky ass looking accessories and everyone's just kind of like, all right, this is in a world that we have so many mobile AR experiences and stuff. It's like, is this going to be the thing? And it, we're all like, nah, it's not. Top 10 best selling Switch games. Top 10. Yeah. yeah. In, in one of the most ridiculously stacked top 10s of all time. Like, good yeah. for them, man. Also, the, the rhythm game update they added to it, really good. Like, I had a lot of fun playing that. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about for a second here with this Nintendo story is Metroid Dread. We got it coming out in um, in October, right? Yep. Can't wait. And oh I think it is easily primed to be the highest selling Metroid game of all time. Oh, primed? The, oh, I like it. Uh, especially considering the uh, just kind of path we've seen of Switch games just coming out and being like, yep, best-selling Kirby game, best-selling Mario Party game, best-selling this game. You know what I mean? Like, they just keep doing it. Um, yeah. So... So that's especially really like metroid is also incredibly like the amount of people that have been horny for it for like what so many years now just been mm -hmm. waiting for their moment to like explode and it's it's isn't coming there's going to be a lot of like i feel like there's going to be a lot of nintendo fans lapsed nintendo fans like crawling out the woodwork to be like yo Metro, metroid is back i'm back into video games i'm buying one of these switches and i'm going to be buying this this metroid game because i feel like it, it has fallen off in a big way through nintendo's own fault 
but Metroid used to be one of those franchises that's like iconic and it is always there. So I'm yeah. excited for the for the new age of Samus to begin. I mean, dude, we we really got to talk about Metroid for a second because it, it's funny you saying like it's it's Nintendo's doing. Like it's crazy to think that this isn't the first time Metroid just has not been around for a while. Like mm-hmm. Metroid didn't have a game on N64. It just yeah. didn't. The only reason that Samus and Metroid were relevant was Smash Brothers. And that's true for a lot of franchises and characters. But, like, there just straight up wasn't anything. And then it dominated the GameCube era. Like, Metroid Fusion and Metroid Prime came out on the same day. (laughs) (laughs) And they're two of the best games ever made. Can you imagine that? That is just that that doesn't feel real. That we got a portable Metroid, a 2D portable Metroid, and one of the greatest 3D video games of all time on the same day. And they connected. It's wild. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, uh, and like it speaks to that because the, the story is that Dread has been ready for ages and they've just been sitting on it. Um, and it's a very Nintendo move. Totally. And the reason I think that that excites me is because it feels like maybe I'm reading too much into it or maybe I'm being too optimistic and giving them too much credit. That feels like the first step, the release of Dread is the first step in a new kind of plan for Metroid. Mm-hmm. It's not like they, they're sitting on it because they have a plan and it is going to begin with the release of Dread. And as a massive Metroid fan, that is, especially for both of us, like that yeah. is so exciting. That is so exciting. We're getting Metroid 5, dude. We're getting Metroid Dread. I can't believe it. And then you got to imagine we're getting Metroid Prime Trilogy and then we'll get Metroid Prime 4. And hopefully... Those are all as good as we want them to be. Quick notes, though, want to say it's so funny when we talk about sales numbers now versus back then. Uh, I think it was uh, you on the show with me when we did this before, but like Chrono Trigger, you'd think, oh, Chrono Trigger, it's a classic. It must have sold tens of millions of copies. No, it's like one million. And even here, Super Metroid, unanimously regarded as one of the best games of all time. Like anytime you're having a what's the best video game conversation, it's going to come up. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Super Metroid. Where is it even on the list? 1.42 million copies sold. Insane. Wild shit. It the third highest selling Metroid game. Number two, Metroid 2 at 1.72. And number one, Metroid 1 on the NES at 2.73. Metroid uh, yeah, Dread's I mean, like, going to crush that shit. It's going to crush that. Oh, yeah. It's easily going to be like the best selling. Obviously, we have to factor in the fact that games were way more expensive back then. Like, also adjusted for inflation as well. Like, over here, a Super Nintendo game like Super Metroid would cost close to a hundred pounds, like 90 pounds, which is a lot of money. So it, they probably made a shit ton of money, even if they sold less, but you're right. Like just the release of these games, like day one, day one week one is probably going to be enough to top all of the franchise numbers. And it's going to be Nintendo match amping it up again, all, all when that happens. So exactly. It's be fun. Exactly. Uh, but before we move on to our next story, let's talk about our sponsors. This show is brought to you by DoorDash. Did you forget that one thing at the store? Well, now you can get the snacks, drinks, and household essentials that you need in 30 minutes with DoorDash. Get drinks, snacks, and other household items delivered in under an hour. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items be left safely outside your door with the contactless delivery drop-off setting. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. When you download the DoorDash app and enter code GAME, Games 2021. For our Canadian listeners, use code GAMESCA. 
That's 25% off up to $10 in value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code GAMES2021 in the U.S. and GAMES CA in Canada. Don't forget that's code GAMES2021 or GAMES CA for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. We're also brought to you by Honey. We all shop online and we've all seen that promo code Fieldtonis at checkout. But thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. Imagine you're shopping one of your favorite sites. When you check out, the Honey button drops down and all you have to do is click apply coupons. Wait a few seconds as Honey searches for the coupons it can find for that site. If Honey finds a working coupon, you'll watch the prices drop. Kind of funny, loves honey. Tim tells you all the time that you should click that dang honey button. It saved us a ton of money shopping online and it can save you money too. Honey has found its over 17 million members over $2 billion in savings. If you don't already have honey, you can be straight up missing out on free savings. Get honey for free at joinhoney.com slash games. That's joinhoney.com slash games. <laughs> And we are back. Moving on to story number four, uh, another upsetting one from the video game industry. Fulbright co-founder steps down as creative lead after hostile workplace accusations. This comes from Nicole Carpenter at Polygon. Uh, it actually all started first with a tweet that came out last night from Open Roads Game. Uh, Kevin, you can bring this up. Thank you so much. It reads, we are a small team passionate about making an inclusive, poignant, story-driven game that gives players a feeling of discovery. We care deeply about creating games that have a positive impact. We're also fervent believers in fostering a work environment that's healthy and collaborative where we can work with transparency, autonomy, and trust. As such, Fulbright's co-founder Steve Gaynor has stepped back from his role as creative lead and manager and transi transitioned to a role as a writer, handing off day-to-day -day responsibilities to the team to compete complete open roads. We're all excited by how the game's shaping up, and we hope you'll follow along as we continue to share our progress. Uh, going back now to the article from Nicole Carpenter at Polygon, which is required reading. Please go over to polygon.com, support this, check it out, read the whole thing, because I'm only going to read some excerpts from it, and there's a, a lot of info there. Uh, but it reads like this. Fulbright co-founder Steve Gaynor, known for his work on Gone Home and Tacoma, has stepped down from his role as creative lead on Open Roads following multiple allegations regarding his treatment of Fulbright staff. Development on Open Roads, which was announced in December 2020 and expected to star Carrie Russell and Caitlin Dever, is behind schedule. 15 employees left the studio since development on Open Roads began in 2019. Around six staff members remain. Uh, speaking with Polygon, 12 former employees said their departure was at least in part due to Gaynor's behavior towards workers, specifically women on the team. At least 10 of the employees who left since Open Roads production began were women. Multiple former employees who spoke with Polygon anonymously out of fear of retaliation described that the Fulbright work environment as controlling, a place in which staffers felt undermined and demeaned by Gaynor. Because of Gaynor's status as the co-founder of the beloved Indie Darling, some former employees say they were worried about being blacklisted from the industry, though some ended up leaving the industry entirely anyway. These former employees said they did not experience or witness sexual harassment or explicit sexism. Instead, they said the studio's toxic culture hid behind the veneer of inclusivity as women were allegedly repeatedly broken down by microaggressions. A, full, a Fulbright representative confirmed to Polygon that Gaynor stepped down in March due to, quote, the pattern of women leaving the company. 
Steve stepped down in March 2021 after it became clear that the steps that were already being taken to improve his interactions with the team were only yielding temporary results, the representative said. More drastic action was needed for the health of the team. The representative also noted that Annapurna is aware of the situation at Fulbright and has been instrumental in helping the Open Roads team make changes to its structure. Um, Following the publication of the story, Gaynor issued a statement to Polygon. The statement reads, Hi, all. I have a statement to share about my role at Fulbright. Earlier this year, I stepped back from my role as creative lead on Open Roads. My leadership style was hurtful to people that worked at Fulbright, and for that, I truly apologize. Stepping back has given me space and perspective to see how my role needs to change and how I need to learn and improve as part of my team, including working uh, with an expert management consultant and uh, rethinking my relationship to the work at Fulbright. I care deeply about Open Roads and the Fulbright team. I'm sad to have stepped back from day-to-day development of Open Roads, but it's been the right thing to do. The Open Roads team has my full faith and support as they bring the game to completion. At least two employees reached out to Annapurna directly. Quote, my personal experience of having Steve as my manager was a toxic and unhealthy dynamic. This former employee wrote in correspondence to Annapurna that was reviewed by Polygon. I can confidently say that I do not want my career to be associated with him. Another employee in a letter to Annapurna described it as the worst professional experience she'd had in games. Although Gaynor's no longer a creative lead on open roads, he's still working on the game as a writer. He currently has no day-to-day collaboration with the rest of the team. Instead, Annapurna Interactive is operating as a mediator between the studio developers and gainer as development continues with a fraction of the company hmm. i mean it's disappointing but not at all surprising i think the the main first thing first um shout out to nicole and uh, for the work at polygon because in a lot of cases this is the kind of work that needs to happen for it to come to light there's probably i don't know in my mind i'm not sure if we would ever know about this if nicole wasn't do- and polygon weren't doing the work to find out about this stuff and you know start to bring it to the forefront it happened many many months ago and it's only now that we're finding out about it so well done to them for exposing that stuff the other thing is if we've learning if we're learning anything out of this the takeaway is that the abuse or the mistreatment um of women within industry is undoubtedly systemic now within this industry and it's not just AAA publishers and developers that are housing this kind of behavior. It's not just the Activisions and Ubisofts that it's, it's happening at. It's happening at indie developers as well, like Fulbright. The indie developers that, in our mind, it's 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 not a correct way of thinking it, but I don't know. I'll, I'll speak for myself, but I see when I think about these kind of stuff happening, I see it happening at a certain scale of developer where you feel like you know they can people think that they can get away with it, like. AAA studios like Ubisoft, like a I don't know an EA a, a, a um, uh, Activision, sorry. And I don't really think too hard about the indie developers because I think they're indie developers, smaller teams, you know. And they use phrases like "we're a family here" and "we're very forward thinking," you know, and "we're we you know we treat each other well, we avoid we we are all about inclusivity and diversity." The thing, the big wake up call from this is that no, it happens at those studios as well. It happens at the smaller studios as much as it happens at the bigger studios. And because because we acknowledge that, we have to also acknowledge the fact that aggression and abuse and mistreatment and harassment of a women of women is happening across the board in the industry. It is a core part of the way this industry functions, and that is a thing that is now undeniable. It is a disgusting realization for anyone to have to make and, and many people have already made it and if anything 
this should be what spurs you into starting to take action and support the people who really, really, really need it. Because it's not just the case of it's happening at the highest echelons of game development. No, it's happening at the top, it's happening at the middle, and it's happening at the bottom. And it is it is a horrible, horrible thing that I've said before. It will make games worse. It is actively making video games worse because it is pushing out voices. It is pushing out perspectives. It is pushing out talent. These these women and people, women of color, people of color who are being marginalized and treated like this, they have no incentive to stick around and carry on making games for us. And if they're not sticking around, if the, some of the smartest, most passionate people are deciding this is so bad that they're going to leave the industry and not make games, we are suffering. The people who play games and love games. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this this story, uh, I totally agree with everything you just said, Tam, but this story really is evidence of how systemic this whole thing is. And, you know, we, we use the word systemic a lot to talk about uh, kind of like where the issues are. And I, I think that this is a is evidence of it kind of not just being like this overt sexual harassment or whatever. It is like, it starts in the workplace. It starts with the way that you just communicate and speak to people and the way that you might speak to different people differently. And that's where this, this microaggression thing comes in where it's like, we need to start addressing that. We need start talking about that and we need to take away that layer of defensiveness that that we we a lot of us feel when we start hearing things like that it's like well what's that actually mean what's the what it's like okay come at this with a different tone you know what i mean like like listen there's obviously something going on here like look at these numbers look at how many people are leaving right that, that that's insane when we're talking about a team that is now six people but at one point was 12 that's half the team right yeah, like what yeah. what's going on you know something is happening and i think that having that conversation about looking into it and 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 talking about it and realizing that you know we just need to be better to each other on a systemic ground level and that's yeah. the only way that we can move forward and it's like having these conversations and looking into this and again like you were saying the work that uh, nicole's doing here it's like this wouldn't be out there otherwise and we wouldn't be having this conversation about this and these are going to keep happening this is everywhere it's not mm -hmm. unique to video games in any way it's in every industry that's just a fact it's not just industries it's the world but we need to start having these conversations and i think that they're happening so much in games because games are online games are in these social media spheres yeah. games are you know the games industry the games media industry has a inherent interest in covering this type of stuff so it's like and that we've seen more and more in the last couple of years and i think that's because we're always online like video games are inherently going to be tied and gamers are going to be tied more into the tech side of the world and the, the 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 social media and just whatever media is at this point so because of that mm. we hear about it a lot in video games and guess what there's a lot of it going on in video games so we just need to start addressing this more and like just my one ask to people is try your best to not get defensive when you when you hear these things yeah. instead try to listen to what they're saying and even if you don't agree with what they're saying try to understand why they're saying it and why they're saying it the way that they are and and there's there's a level of self-awareness that you need to have to do that and i know a lot of people like i've seen the responses to uh this this kind of story uh circulating all day on twitter and the one that i keep finding and it really like frustrates me and i know that it doesn't always come from a place of like ill intent but it's the one where it's like oh this happens in the movie industry all the time oh this happens in the legal industry all the time like this is the way it is it's sad but it is the way it is but like i un we i understand that this is happening everywhere but that language is also incredibly dismissive mm -hmm. and i hate it when i see that because looking inward imagine someone who has been a victim of that sees that and sees 
Oh, this happens in the industry. Uh, this happens in X industry all the time. It's just you're accidentally normalizing it, and it's and it's not a situation we want to create. It's not an atmosphere or, or a common form of addressing this situation that we want to be okay with. Try and avoid that kind of stuff. And the other thing is maintain awareness. The sad fact of fact of the matter is we work in news cycles. It is a horrifying to thing to say, but like. The Activision stuff has been happening over the last few days and you look at a social timeline and social timelines are pretty much almost cleansed of any sort of um, uh, presence of that kind of stuff. It will come back up again when someone reports something new or there's a new development. But the sad fact of the matter is like the cycle is going to wash away these kind of things. And it sucks that the only time it comes back into focus is when something awful happens. And that's the only time when a lot of people are actively thinking about it. And I know it's hard to do. And it's effectively, it sounds like someone saying, hey, think about the worst thing happening around the world in this industry always. That's not what we're saying. It's a more of a case of like a relaxed alertness around this thing. So that when it happens, and when you see these things happening, these microaggressions, whether it's in a workplace or in on social networks you're able to identify it and you have a presence of mind to respond to it in a way that that person suffering needs it and could benefit from it absolutely man absolutely well said tam uh moving on to some some real quick stories just a little lightning mode here uh story number five focus home interactive has acquired dotamu who are the developers of streets of rage 4 so we got a theme in this episode a little more streets <laughs> of rage action uh focus home interactive is a french video game developer and publisher uh they've been around since 1996 have done track mania runaway sherlock holmes um and then in 2010, they acquired the Cities XL franchise and they started working with Giant Software in 2012 on Farming Simulator. So we'll see how this goes. Mm. You know, acquire, it seems like uh, every week someone's acquiring somebody. Like, yeah. Uh, hopefully, this is good news. Yeah. Uh, then, story number six South Park creator signed massive new $900 million deal with Viacom CBS. Uh, this comes from Lucas Shaw at Bloomberg. Uh, the creators of South Park have signed a new deal with Viacom that gives them $900 million over the next six years, one of the richest deals in TV history. The new deal, which runs through 2027, covers six more seasons of South Park and 14 made for Paramount Plus streaming Damn. movies. Um, we did a South Park movie in 99, and we've never done another one because the show has been so satisfying. Now we're older, and the idea of what streaming movies can be is pretty promising, so that's interesting. But the reason I bring this up on Kind of Funny Games Daily is, in addition to the movies for Paramount Plus, uh, Parker and Stone are going to use the money to invest in a wide range of creative endeavors, including a documentary series, a weed company, and a 3D video game that's set in the world of South Park. So maybe we'll get more in the world of Stick of Truth and the Fractured Butthole. Game's so fucking good. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm, yeah. just I'm just glad that they aren't investing it in NFTs or Bitcoin. I'm yeah. happy. Hell yeah. Uh, then the final thing, Mario Golf Super Rush gets a free update later today. There's a new mode, ranked match, new character, Toadette, new course, new Donk City, uh, and improved motion controls. And there will be more updates coming to Mario Golf later this year. Um, I am going to quickly just go through. And you know what? If I The end of this show, Tam, isn't that mm -hmm. far away. But if I wanted to know what's coming to Mom and Grab Shops today, where would I look? You would look at the official list of upcoming software across each and every platform as listed by the Kind of Funny Games Daily Show hosts each and every weekday, baby. I'll know when you do the it's yeah. Done. It's done. Give yeah. Me the yeah.
Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Out today, The Falconeer on PS5, PS4, and Switch. Dodgeball Academia on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Yonder, The Cloudcatcher Chronicles on the Xbox consoles. Strategic Mind, The Pacific, and Blitzkrieg on PS4. Starmancer on PC and Mac. Haven Park, Death Trash on PC and Mac. A Monster's Expedition on Switch. One, two, three dots on Switch. Star Hunter DX on Switch. Dating Life. Miley Cross Emily on Switch, Doomsday Vault on Switch, Dreamscaper on Switch, IFO on Switch, and finally Picross S Genesis and Master System Edition on Switch. Very, very cool stuff. Tam, thank you for joining me today for another Tim Tam Thursday. Kind Love of funny it. games daily. Uh, Wait, we're going to do the post any show. wrong? Uh, no, I just checked. I We are beautiful people that don't get anything wrong. A lot of editorializing. Awesome. A lot of editorializing. <laughs> These nerds and their Pop opinions. In. But, uh, uh, the one thing is Dotemu is pronounced dot emu, like the large bird. So there we yeah. go. What The one Dying. wrong that literally just popped in live. So Mikey O, thank you for that. Um, tomorrow's host, Greg Miller, and this guy, Tim Gettys, baby. Oh! Uh, we're about to do the Patreon-exclusive post show over on patreon.com slash kindoffunnygames. Till next time, love you all. Goodbye.